Welcome to Native Currents, a critical look at the week's biggest stories in Indian country. On this week's show, Indigenous tourism takes flight from coast to coast. Corrections Canada puts out the call for Native elders. Will he or won't he? Native organizations expected to invite the Pope to visit Canada. And racism in sports. Cleveland Indians controversy hits ESPN. I'm Glenn Wheeler. And I'm Stephen Van Lawfeld. And uh, good to be back in the chair, Glenn, after uh, after a week off. Good to have you back. It's uh, not uh, the same not having you here, so nice to see you back in your chair. Yeah, happy to be back and this, uh, this beautiful spring day here in uh, the heart of downtown Toronto. It just so happens uh, this week, Steve, I, was, uh, I had dinner with some people from uh, back home in Newfoundland, Talking about uh, back there, I'm going back there in uh, in about a month to uh, eat fresh lobster and plant potatoes. Oh, beautiful. And uh, it's the time of year when um, people start uh, making plans for, for the summer. And um, there's a, a story in uh, the paper recently about uh, indigenous tourism, which is taking off uh, in many parts of the country. It's been taken off for years, actually. It's, uh, you know, as the story says, uh, things are really taking flight. Yeah. Uh, many of uh, both uh, uh, BC and Ontario have their provincial uh, Indigenous tourism sites, and there is a, a national Canadian site, and there are, there are things to see uh, from coast to coast to coast. The story, I think, is, um, is directed at more of a mainstream traveler rather than um, an Indigenous uh, traveler. But I think the good thing about these... Um, these tours and these uh, these opportunities, it's education. So people who are not part of our of our communities are seeing the land, our community, and it builds allies. It it illustrates to them in very direct terms how important the land, the environment is, and um, it builds support. Absolutely, you know, I often mainstream media stories talk about you know all the negative and and the the hurt and the despair and the dysfunction within the communities and you know un- unfortunately a lot of that is there but you know our communities are are beautiful and, and culturally rich places uh, you know if you go anywhere across this great province I mean you're gonna see natural beauty you're gonna see nature I mean many of our places are um, you know situated within uh, fairly close driving distance to, to many of the major urban hubs so um, you know, visitors can take a plane, train, bus, and get out there and, and visit uh, a lot of these communities. For instance, you know, I took uh, I took the family up to Manitoulin Island here, which uh, is in Ontario this past summer, and you know, we went out. It's it's Indian land out there. We went to go to the uh, Wequemecong uh, powwow, which is one of the largest competition powwows in Canada, if not the largest competition powwow, and it was great. You know, there were. We just drove across the island. We fished. You know, we got to know the local culture. It was it was great, and that was just that's just one community. That's just one area. So, um, you know, the the beauty is is diverse and vast. And of course, it's economic development also because many of the operators are are indigenous operators. So, it's uh, it's a way of supporting communities by by visiting and uh, spending money. That's how economic development works, and it's a uh, it's a win-win for our peoples and for travelers. Yeah, I was seeing in that in that story, and it was in the uh, I believe it was the Globe Travel section, mm-hmm. and um, it was saying again it was targeted at the mainstream traveler, which I think is good because 
you know, bring, come and visit our communities, you know, come and, come and see what many of the communities have to offer. But the author of the story was saying that um, this year or, or in the previous year that friends from New Zealand, you know, friends from Australia, friends from places all across the world, those that do an annual trip somewhere, you know, people that enjoy visiting Canada, that there's an increasing interest um, within First Nation communities. I mean, take many of the, take, take the natural beauty out in BC, for instance, you know, we've got communities such as West Bank or the Asoyus that have wineries, you know, that have world-class golf, golf courses situated in the mountains. And that's just out there. I mean, you're, you say you're from Newfoundland. I mean, the, the beauty, the icebergs, you know, the, the national parks and everything that has to offer. So I'm glad folks are coming and, uh, getting a, a flavor for, um, our culture. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great thing. Um, now, uh, speaking of culture, there was another interesting story this week uh, about uh, a call from the Correctional Services of Canada for elders to work in our uh, federal penitentiary system. Of course, uh, we know about the very high rate of, uh, of uh, Indigenous uh, inmates in the penitentiary system. Uh, nearly 10% of the prison population, and many of them are young young men. Um, and a few years ago, the then conservative government did a an assessment of the services available. And basically it was a counting exercise because they no one in Ottawa knew about the about how many programs there were across the country. So they did a count. And um, this uh, this announcement from uh, from corrections is uh, is a continuation of that uh, of that uh, study. So it's it's a good thing not only for the offenders because of course um, we know that traditional ways, traditional approaches are the most effective in rehabilitation. So the we know uh, that it works. So it's uh, it's good from that point of view, but it's also. A good thing, I think, that we there's a way to uh, to add to the capacity of uh, of elders. Uh, a, a big concern has been um, carrying on uh, traditional knowledge uh, uh, into the future. So this provides a bit of infrastructure for a training of elders as well as helping the uh, the offenders. Yeah, when I came across this, I mean, what it is is a correctional services request for services. Um, you know, they're putting out a tendering opportunity for for elders to be able to, you know, to to bid on the these opportunities within uh, services right across Canada. And and I think this is phenomenal. Um, you know, the the justice system is the end result. I think of you know years of oppression, systemic discrimination. You know, policies that are you know enacted to hurt our people, you know, and that traditionally have over the years. And so the the justice system is the end result of a broken system. So many of the folks, many of the, the individual, many of the, the First Nation, Métis and Inuit people have been denied access to their culture over the years. Um, and oftentimes it's ironically in prison where these individuals are able to just focus on who they are and begin their healing journey. I mean, I used to uh, sit on the board of a uh, homeless shelter here in Toronto, a Native men's homeless shelter, and, you know, we'd hear the stories of the folks coming out of there, coming into the transitional house, um, who did often find their way 
begin their healing path through meeting with the elders, um, you know, meeting with traditional people within within the penitentiary. So I think this is great. Um, you know, there's an increasing demand for elder services, not only in the prison system, but I think right across all spectrums of uh, of society. You know, as as Canadians move on a path of reconciliation, more and more people see that, you know, it's proper. It's proper protocol to start things in a good way. And that often that means with having an elder open, and open you know, with uh, either a smudging or a prayer or both and just helping people have good minds, good thoughts, and a good meeting or whatever it is that, that, you're, that you're doing. But one of the challenges is actually a lot of these places want the services of elders, but they don't want to pay them accordingly. You know, there's an honorarium and it's often small. The elder has to get there. So in a place like Toronto, where elder services are in high demand, they need to be paid accordingly. And so, you know, the fact that this uh, this call for proposal actually looks like uh, the elders will be, you know, paid paid accordingly. And I, and I think that's, that's just proper that they should be because the demand working with inmates in prison, men and women alike, is it's challenging work. The, the elders, uh, and this is one of the issues for elders, are elders are exposed to the trauma, all the trauma of the uh, people they, they deal with. So it's emotionally demanding work. It's, uh, and they have to, um, of course, you can't, you can't click your fingers and become an elder. These are, these are people who have invested their time, uh, their interest in, in being afforded by the traditional ways and having the standing among their community to make them elders. Yeah, they, they have to be seen by their communities as actually being the knowledge, knowledge keepers and able to pass on the knowledge and, and living life in a good way, right? Yeah, and um, and we know that uh, sometimes there are people who pass themselves off as elders who aren't really elders, and uh, and in the demand for elder services, this is a, this is a problem that sometimes uh, arises. So uh, I think one of the the positive byproducts of this uh, initiative by Corrections Canada is that it's providing a um, the the pathway for for elder development. Well, I mean, vicarious trauma, and that's trauma that's actually picked up by doing work such as as elders. You know, a lot of these helping professions, you you carry the the weight around by helping people, and you know, it's it's mentally, physically, and emotionally draining, and over time, it. It, it wears on you, and so. But one of the one of the one of I guess the requirements is, you know, being able to release all of what you carry around in a good way. Because you're right. I mean, there's 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 a burnout um, among our elders um, to work in these professions. I know that there was a there was a study done um, at Anishinaabe Health Toronto that looked at vicarious trauma among elders within that institution, and it's it's heavy work because people are putting their life history on you. And oftentimes it's, it's negative. I mean, you don't wind up in a federal prison because you've been a good person. You know, I mean, often there's been things that have contributed to where you ultimately, where you wound up. Right. And among our people, it's been colonization and and oppression and systemic discrimination, the residential schools and the 60s scoop. So, and many of these elders have experienced that themselves. So, They've had to go through their own healing journey, be able to deal with that, you know, and be able to, I guess, release their past or learn from it. 
But dealing with it on a day in and day out basis, you know, it it wears on you. So you know, I think I think that this being a federal request for services, I'm sure that some those supports will be there. So I mean, I see this as uh, this is a good thing, Glenn. This is a really good thing. Yes. Um, now, um, another story uh, we're monitoring this week is a expected invitation to the Pope oh, to it's visit a, Canada. It's not expected, Glenn. This this invitation went out. Is it in the mail, Steve? It's, it, they, uh, apparently, um, the Apostolic Nuncio, I'm not quite sure what that is, but uh, to Canada, said Pope Francis is considering an invitation for a visit, during which many Canadians hoped he would apologize for the Catholic Church's role in running Indian residential schools. So, according to this gentleman... The Pope has received the invitation. This request from First Nations, said Archbishop Luigi Bonazzi, Nuncio. He is considering it. Well, isn't that nice? So, the Pope has received the invitation, and he is considering it. He's looking at his calendar to see if he can uh, squeeze us in. Now, a lot of... uh a lot of Indigenous people in Canada would welcome such a visit. And in fact, many people see a visit and an apology by the Pope for the residential schools saga as the, as the culmination of the, uh, of the pathway that we've been on through uh, the TRC, through the release of the report and all the discussion that's been, that's been going on. So uh, a lot of people have been asking for this and would welcome this, uh, this visit by the Pope. Um, and uh, we know that many of our, of our people across the country are very active in the church. They are my own Mi'kmaq people in, uh, in Eastern Canada, uh, have been very active in the Roman Catholic Church. That is a tradition that goes back um, many, many, many years. Um, so this will be of great interest um, across the country. Yeah, absolutely. In the, uh, in the Truth and Reconciliation Report, uh, of course, the, uh, they called on the uh, all-face to, to step to the plate and uh, the, the heads of the face to, to offer apologies for, for their role in running many of these residential schools. And we know the Pope has been, you know, all over the place apologizing for atrocities at the hands of, uh, you know, many of the, the clergy, you know, who have had negative, just been despicable to, to their clergy. And so, you know, it's about time that the Pope came here and uh, apologized for the wrongs. Now, of course... Not everybody wants it. I mean, you know, some folks just outright don't want it. But the head of the state, the head of the 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 Catholic Church, I mean, that would that would state a lot. Yes, and um, of course, the as you say, the Pope has had to apologize for a lot of uh, a lot of things that have happened at the hands of uh, priests. But the residential schools. Uh, chapter in our history is uh, is of a higher order in the sense that it was the church itself who was part of this uh, this program of uh, of cultural genocide along with the federal government so uh, unlike uh, errant priests and sexual abuse here was the church as church being a player being a uh, uh, the main actor in this uh, in the residential schools uh, system so uh, it's um it's of a different uh, different order and, to, to a certain extent, more to apologize for. Well, in this report here, it says, in response to a recommendation from last year's Truth and Reconciliation report, 
which asked faith groups to build a new framework of reconciliation based on the 2007 UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops released a document on March 29th that outlines several steps that can be taken to inspire Catholics to right past wrongs through a practical commitment to heal enduring injustices. Well, you know, this to me sounds like, hey, you know what, uh, we hear you, and so what we're going to do is we're going to put out several recommendations so that the clergy, the people, Catholics out there around can engage in a process of reconciliation, but it does, at no point does it speak to them actually stepping to the plate. Like the story said at the beginning, the Pope has received his invitation and he is considering it. It also goes on to state that the bishops said they have no problem reaffirming their support of the UN Declaration, stating that its spirit can point a, can point a way forward towards reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples in Canada. Well, I mean, this is just a crock, bunch of crock, Glenn. You know, the the atrocities that the Catholic Church has had on on many indigenous peoples, not only in Canada, but right around the world. You know, and for them to 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 be so non-committal is is a slap in the face. Yet another slap in the face by the church. Hmm. Well, of course, uh, and our people, uh, before the Europeans arrived and uh, the Catholic missionaries arrived with them, of course, our, our peoples had their own spiritual approach to life, our own indigenous religion. And uh, over the years, uh, that became uh, co-opted uh, by, by the church. Many of our, our traditions were uh, made to seem bad and uh, and people stopped practicing many of many of our ceremonies and rituals. As well, you were, out, of, you, you were outright beat. You were outright beat if you practiced, practiced your, your traditional culture. You know, I mean, you were, you were slapped and you were beaten with sticks. Uh, the atrocities are many. But I suppose uh, it's, uh, if, if this is useful in the part of individuals and their healing journey... Uh, who are we to second guess uh, the usefulness of the of the Pope's well, visit? Well, I certainly think it's 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 necessary. The Pope needs to step to the plate and and apologize for these wrongs. You know, on behalf of the Church. I mean, I didn't realize, but uh, over the course of the 130 year policy that is the Indian Residential School, um, did you know that the Catholic Church ran about 60 percent of the residential schools? They were they were the most active, uh, to be sure, and of course they were historically they were the most active uh, uh, in in what is now known as Canada. They were the first missionaries to arrive back in uh, back in the day. So they the Catholic missionaries were here the longest, and uh, they had the most involvement. Sixty percent. Um, I'm just reading. I'm just continuing reading in the story here, and uh, one of the uh, one of the archbishops, uh, his name is Murray Chatelaine of Kuwait and La Pa, says, "I just hope more of our church and Canadians in general educate themselves about the issues." Now, apparently, um, the diocese that this uh, archbishop runs is made up of 83% First Nations and Métis people. So, I mean, it just goes to show the impact on... the impact that the Church has had on, on our communities. 83%, I mean, that's that's significant. 60% of all residential schools run by Catholics. You know, I'm going to admit, I'm a Catholic, Glenn. I'm, I'm, well, I'm not practicing, you know, and I think I've, I've stepped away from the Church, and I'm uh, on a... Sp- 
spiritual spiritual reclamation journey here. You know, I want to know who I am, and uh, you know the the dogma that that is just put out by the church. I can't uh, I can't get behind it. You know, that's just me. You know, I I get the principles, you know, of being being good and all that, but just there's just too many things that, you know, I need to find out who I am as an individual. But if the Pope coming here, and he should, and apologize on behalf of the church for running the residential schools, that needs to happen so that people can continue on on their journey. You know, all the work of the residential school that has gone into, into helping people heal, you know, that's but one part. That's but one part. And I think... Uh, the church can really play a role in in helping people move forward. Finally this week, uh, Steve, we have uh, another chapter in the ongoing story of racism in sports. Uh, we've talked about uh, in uh, here in Ontario, uh, there was a human rights uh, complaint against uh, some teams in Mississauga for using, for co-opting, Aboriginal names for the sports teams, something as um, as odd as the Mississauga, Mississauga Mohawks. Mississauga, as we know, is not on Mohawk territory, but I guess they like the alliteration of the MM words, the Mississauga Mohawks. Um, but anyways, this uh, story here uh, this week uh, comes from ESPN, where a guest host, Bomani Jones, uh, sparked some controversy when he wore a shirt that uh, took a play on the Cleveland Indians logo. Of course, there's been a lot of backlash against uh, this uh, baseball team in Cleveland for uh, co-opting uh, uh, Indians. And um, so he wore a shirt that said Caucasians instead of Indians. And the the mascot uh, that's usually this uh, cartoon uh, illustration, Chief, Chief Wahoo... Wahoo. Uh, but with paler skin on uh, on uh, Bomani Jones shirt and a dollar sign replacing the feather, how appropriate! Because of course we know that one of the reasons why the this Cleveland team doesn't want to get rid of uh, their logo is they make so much money on the sports gear. Well, of course, a lot of the teams do, and um, I mean, you know, when I, when I saw this story, I I couldn't help but laugh. I mean, it was shared, you know, several hundred thousand times. This uh, this story of. Uh, uh, Mr. Jones here wearing the uh, shirt that said Caucasians. And I mean, it's comical, but I mean, it's also a take on, on reality. I mean, for years, decades, you know, we've had uh, this Chief Wahoo, this caricature of, uh, of an Indian uh, on, on the front of the, 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 the Cleveland Indian jersey. And the minute that Mr. Jones puts, uh, uh, makes a play on it by putting the Caucasians on there, suddenly white Twitter is an, is an uproar. You know, I think even ESPN tried to shut him up as well. Yeah, they didn't like, uh, I guess, uh, you know, when uh, no doubt the Cleveland Indians uh, back office was on the phone to ESPN uh, taking umbrage at this uh, at this mocking of their, of their logo. So um, uh, no doubt there was pushback behind the scenes. Uh, I think, Steve, are you suggesting that uh, it, it's taken a while uh, for to have a controversy. It wasn't until uh, the T-shirt that um, that people started to talk about it. Well, no, I think I mean this conversation has been had among us as as First Nation, you know, Native Americans for you know for a long time now. 
Uh, it's only until this. I think he's a black gentleman as well. Yes. Uh, you know, he wears this shirt and makes this political statement that, hey, if it's right for them, why is it not right for you? Right. Like white is right. And, you know, and how, how dare anybody sit here and make fun of us? Well, you know what? They did, you know, and I don't think it was them making fun of it. It was just them drawing attention to why is it okay for, you know, uh, the Indian's face to be on there, but it's not okay for, for a white person's face to be on there with the dollar sign. And you're right. You know, they're still selling the the team memorabilia and jerseys and hats with uh, the chief Wahoo on there, even though they've done away with it on the front of the jerseys. Now it just says uh, Indians in some sort of uh, fancy lettering. But you go on the website and it still has chief Wahoo on, on the side of the jerseys on the hats. So, I mean, it's not going away anytime soon. You know, aside from ticket sales, uh, a big portion of uh, revenue is generated from items such as, you know, sports memorabilia. So, um, you know, the owners aren't going to just do away with it, you know. And this is a half-assed attempt for, for them to make it look like they're doing something. We, 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 we acknowledge your concerns, Indians. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll take steps, but we won't go all the way. You know, it's ridiculous. Guess who owns the domain name Indians.com? Do uh, Indians own it? No, of course not. Who owns it? The Cleveland Indians. Ah, uh, yes. The Cleveland Indians own Indians.com. Of so, course. Yeah. But, you know, good on him for, for drawing attention. Um, you know, I don't think this this issue of caricatures of First Nations, Indigenous peoples as, as school mascots is going to be going away anytime soon. So um, Canadians, Americans, you know, smarten up, change, just... Just change it already. Get an artist to draw another illustration. So with that, that brings to a, a close our show, Glenn. Yes, uh, tell uh, our listeners, Steve, how to get in touch with us. Well, we have several ways for our uh, listeners to, to give us feedback, and we want to hear from you, our listeners. Um, we want to know which, what you like, uh, what's going on in your communities, because really this, this, sh this show is about the stories that are happening within your communities. So let us know. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and at Facebook, at Native Currents. You can email us, nativecurrents at gmail.com. And you can also follow uh, our, our, our blog post. Glenn writes a uh, weekly blog, and that's uh, nativecurrents.blogspot.com. Um, tell us what you think. Give us your feedback. Uh, and tell your friends. And you can also, get a, you can also like us on um, uh, iTunes. You know, the more you like us on iTunes, uh, the higher we go up in the ratings and the more people that we're able to reach and tell our stories to. And if you like uh, what you hear, click the donate button and contribute to the coffee fund. Donations are good. They, they No donation is too small. They they keep us afloat. They keep the website going and they keep, uh, they keep us in coffee, Glenn. Yep. And thanks for that. So, Steve, have a good week and uh, see you next time. And we will see you next week. <laughs>